And so being in Europe, I mean, not even just in Europe, I think this is the experience once you leave the US, but especially in Europe, in Africa, most of the countries in Africa, even South America, Central America. But once you leave America, people are like, oh, wow, you're a beautiful woman. You're smart. You have a beautiful smile. You have a body that I'm attracted to. And you're a woman. <laughs> you're like this three-dimensional woman that I want to spend more time with. I want to take you on a date. I want to know you. I'll, I enjoy your, your company. And it's, you just seen. And that's, there's no other way to say it. You are absolutely seen. Welcome to Flourish in the Foreign, a podcast that celebrates, elevates, and affirms the voices and stories of Black women living and thriving abroad, while exploring living abroad as a pathway to wellness. I'm your host, Christine Job, a Black American business strategist and podcaster based in Barcelona. As a business strategist, I help Black women and women of color leverage their talents and their expertise into viable and sustainable online businesses, businesses that make them professionally fulfilled, financially abundant while they pursue a thriving life abroad. If you are interested in starting a business abroad, I recommend you grabbing my free Build a Business Abroad guide, which you can find a link on the website www.flourishintheforeign.com. Or you can find a link in the show notes of this episode. Have you been thinking about starting your own podcast? Or perhaps you already have a podcast, but you want to grow it, or maybe you're a little bit unsure on how to market the podcast. I want to highly recommend you joining the Women of Color, WOC, Podcasters Insiders Membership. It is a membership that I am a paying member of, and it has been so instrumental in the growth of this podcast. It can really help you get clear about your podcast idea, help you launch successfully, and help you grow your listenership. If you're interested in joining the WOC Insiders Membership, please be sure to use my affiliate code, which you can find in the show notes of this episode or on the website. It is at no extra cost to you, but it does support this here podcast. I also have more podcasting resources available on the Flourish in the Foreign website, which you can find at www.flourishintheforeign.com slash resources and just scroll down to podcasts. And I've put some products and services that I personally use to produce this here podcast. Flourish in the Foreign is a labor of love, but labor nonetheless. And that's why I ask all of you lovely listeners to please support this podcast. You can support this podcast in a number of ways. You can become a Patreon supporter of this podcast. Shout out to all of my Patreon supporters who listen to this podcast. I greatly appreciate y'all. One thing though, can y'all email me back? Because I've tried to email some of you Patreon supporters and y'all don't be emailing me. So check your email because I'd like to start an exclusive chat with my Patreon supporters where we talk once a week about that week's episode and their questions about living and moving abroad. So Patreon supporters, get back to me. 
And if you are interested in having chats about the episodes and about living and moving abroad, become a Patreon supporter today at www.patreon.com slash flourish foreign. You can cash out the podcast at dollar sign flourish foreign. You can buy me a coffee via the buy me a coffee platform at www.buymeacoffee.com slash flourish foreign. And if you are so inclined, you can purchase a piece of production equipment that is sorely, sorely needed to really keep this podcast going. You can find our Amazon wish list on the Flourish in the Foreign website at www.flourishintheforeign.com support. Thank you all so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Flourish in the Foreign. And thank you all so much for your words of support and encouragement and for checking in on me when I went MIA. I went MIA. Your girl needed a break and she needed to take care of herself. And I did that. And I feel so, so much better. And I am so excited to be bringing back these stories to you. I am just in love with this podcast. And I love how much you all love this podcast. It means so, so much to me. So thank you so much. Today we have Latrice. And can I just tell you, this this episode is so wonderful because Latrice is so wonderful. Speaking with Latrice really illuminates how the American dream, the Black American dream, is not always what it cracks up to be and how it is so vital to know yourself so that you really can create a life that you really want to live. And sometimes that life is just not available to you in your home country. And I think Latrice's story exemplifies that. Latrice also has an amazing, amazing perspective on dating abroad. Yes, I said it because y'all want to hear it, dating abroad. So I'll let her tell you all about it. I'm Latrice Williams. I'm 44 and I live in Rome, Italy. I'm from Chicago, Illinois, and I moved abroad when I was 42. I went to an HBCU. I went to Clark Atlanta for undergrad. And it was very much kind of that right after, like, post a different world school days experience. So I was, I mean, Freaknik was still going on. I was really, really engulfed in the Black youth American college experience. And so I really didn't see beyond that. And one of the cool things about being um, at Clark was that, and I, I imagine Howard would be the same or FAM, is that there were so many different kinds of Black people. So I had an instructor that was a Black Canadian, like there were so many people from the Caribbean and Africa. I have African professors from like Nigeria, I had a girlfriend from Eritrea. So I felt like this global African experience that was brought to me. And that was as an undergrad. But when I went to grad school, and I went to grad school immediately after undergrad, so I didn't have like this break, I did have an opportunity to study abroad. And it really just opened my eyes to what else was out there. And it started a lot of questions, but I still was so laser focused on making America work for me that really living abroad wasn't something that I seriously considered towards the end of, I mean, and I made some amazing friends, people I still talk to. This is, this was in 1999. And one of the things that, that was 
really impactful for me in, in meeting all these people and seeing all these different kinds of experiences. But then I was still like, well, but let me get back to the state so I can start my career. It, it didn't even dawn on me that I could start it somewhere else, especially when the U.S. is this place that everyone's trying to get to. So I think of people grow up in other parts of the world dreaming of the U.S., but we're sold that the U.S. is utopia. And so I don't think so many Americans grow up wanting to be somewhere else. Latrice had the opportunity to study abroad when she decided to pursue an MBA. And so I asked her, what was that experience like for her? Well, my graduate program, I, I went to an MBA program. My undergrad had been communications and I worked, I spent time interning at TV stations and, and initially thought that's where I wanted my career to go. Once I started like, making the money that people made in TV, which is nothing like the, the payment is you get to work in TV. And then people would come back that had like internships and marketing and sales and finance. And they're like, I made all this money. And I was like, I'm doing the wrong thing. So then I went to B school and studied uh, marketing. The program that I went to, it was my major was marketing. My minor was organizational theory. So I ended up taking these econ classes globally. So I went to Leipzig University in Leipzig, Germany, which is East Germany, which is so crazy because it was not too long after the fall of the Berlin Wall and Leipzig was in East Germany. Everyone wants to just split people up and divide them into like little pieces. <laughs> and we would be there and the German students would say to us, well, she's crazy because she's East German. And oh, they're this way because they're West German. And I'm like, y'all all white, <laughs> exactly the same. You have the same religion, you speak the same language, but they were still like splitting up between East and West. And both programs studied the conversion to the EU. So that was kind of from an Eastern European standpoint. So we went to a lot of places because we do these business case studies and we'd actually go to the place like we went to the shipyard in Poland where they make like the freight ships, the, these huge ships that are like the size of a small town. And we went to a cigarette factory and just a lot of different factories and manufacturing places. And we took classes on site in different cities and traveled a lot in Eastern Europe. But it was kind of the fall of communism and trying to get them on board with Western Europe. I didn't even really appreciate it, I think, as much then. But in retrospect, it was this amazing kind of hands-on uh, learning experience. And I remember being in Poland and uh, we're just walking down the street and I was with two girls from Colombia, but they were white. And this guy just walks up to me and starts screaming. And we're like, what, what in the world is this man screaming about? And he looks at me. He's like, oh, my God, I'm so happy to be the black person. And then I was like, OK. And then he's like, I love Eddie Murphy. <laughs> like, that was my cousin, Eddie. Like, I was going to be like, yo, Eddie, guess what happened to me today? That was, like, so eye-opening for me in terms of, like, the way that – because the United States, being black is not – generally seen as this awesome thing. It's like, oh man, she black. Well, we not, we're not going to hire her for this job. We're going to pay her less. She's going to be followed around the store. But I mean, it was always cool when I was in Europe, the things that were, were happening, even without the context of being American, which definitely helps as well. And then after that program, I did a program in Manchester in England. It was similar. It was how business would operate post the EU conversion. Because at this point, they were still all on different currencies. Like we're, they were still in the Deutschmark and the Lira and the Franc when we would go to different countries. And so they were, you know, still studying kind of how to bring this together and did some work with that and, and learned about how companies were kind of bringing those processes into uh, uniformity. So that was that experience. And it was kind of more of the same, but I really loved it and didn't 
like I said, I did, I kind of took it for granted. And once I got to the States and got to the real world and beginning my corporate career, I was really unhappy. <laughs> I, I wasted a lot of time in the United States, man. And um, one of the girls that I met when I was in Leipzig was from Colombia. She was black. And we're really good friends now. And she basically like went home, got her stuff. It came back to move to Germany. She's been in Europe ever since. She's married to an Austrian. They have two kids. And I told her, I was like, if I had any sense, I would have did what you did. But I didn't know. And I had bought into this whole concept of the American dream and thought that that would be a reality for me as well. And just never really worked out like that. So safe to say, Latrice really had a mind-expanding experience during her MBA program when she had the opportunity to study abroad. And so as she returned to the United States, I asked her, how did her life then unfold? Once I got out of grad school, I did some temping at different places and finally got like a really good job offer with Accenture. It was Anderson Consulting at the time. I mean, I was making great money, like 23 and making like a ton of money. And when I got the offer, I remember my daddy called like everybody. I was like, my baby making this much money. Like it was, and in America, it's only about money. It's like, well, if you make X amount of dollars, you should be happy. Like money equals happy. And, and I hadn't realized yet that that was not important. That wasn't as important to me, but I couldn't, I hadn't reconciled that yet because I think, I mean, I think capitalism is kind of shoved down your throat in the United States. Like if you don't feel like this, then you need to just buy something until you do feel like this. (laughs) So I had a great job. I was making great money, but the hours were ridiculous. There was a joke because it was like a law firm, billable hours. The more hours you work, the more money the company makes, the more they want you to work. And they had a joke that if you had a seven o'clock meeting, was it AM or PM? I'd work, I would work uh, 24 hour shifts and 36 hour shifts and traveling to all these horrible, horrible places that you didn't want to visit. Like I was in Waukesha, Wisconsin and Overland Park, Kansas. It's just places I didn't, I mean, I would have never wanted to go (laughs) if they weren't paying me to go. It's not like that when they recruit, they talk about, oh, there's a Nakia project in Finland and the Dole Pineapple project in Hawaii. And it's like, well, yeah, but we're going to send you to Waukesha, Wisconsin. So it was not like this cool thing. And on a fluke, personality-wise, I'm a natural extrovert. When you do the Myers-Briggs, I'm that person that's like the natural performer, natural salesperson. So I ended up interviewing randomly for a job at a National Black MBA for Novartis. And I got an offer and started working in sales. So that was a much better fit for my personality, for my skill set. And I was able to do really well. I worked there and I worked at Johnson & Johnson in both roles. I won like a few sales awards, a few contests. So I was able to be successful, but I still wasn't happy, especially when I was at Johnson & Johnson because I was making like a lot of money. I was at six figures before I was 30. And this was a while back when six figures was even more than it is now. But I, I feel like there is less of an opportunity to be three-dimensional as an African-American woman. And when I say that, I mean that you are expected to fit a very myopic focus or very tiny box of what your human experience is supposed to be. And so I was working this job, making decent money, but I wasn't really meeting anybody worth like dating wise that saw me as potential, that really wanted to be in a relationship or or do anything. And then I was living in Chicago, which is so segregated. So beyond like work experiences, I wasn't even meeting people that weren't exactly like me. 
And then it was funny when I would go to different work things and we go to like a club or something in, in Wrigleyville and my coworkers would be like, oh, there's a black dude over there in the corner and you're a black girl. Like you should talk to each other. <laughs> I'm like, sweetie, he's not here for me. It, it wasn't fulfilling for me. And so working in field sales is a really, really good opportunity to learn how to be an entrepreneur because you basically work for yourself. And I mean, when I first got that job, I, I had a friend say like, oh, if there wasn't somebody standing over my shoulder, I'd never do anything. And I'm like, well, in sales, if you don't do stuff, you don't make any money. So you learn to be self-motivated and manage a business and to manage your day. You don't need the structure that a lot of people do honestly need in order to be productive. And so I started doing real estate full-time after I left Johnson & Johnson. And I've been doing that full-time off and on since like 2006, seven. As I think you guys have been able to tell if you've been listening to the podcast for a minute, for just about every one of my guests, there becomes a moment, a pivotal moment, sometimes do or die, sometimes not that intense, that really kicks off the journey to go abroad. And so I asked Latrice to tell me about her journey abroad. You know how when you're a little kid, I think, and you realize, like from the time you're born, for a lot of kids, and your parents are like, there's a Santa Claus, and there's a Tooth Fairy, and there's an Easter Bunny, and there are all these kind of fictional things, and you believe in these fables and these myths. And then one day, you just, you grow up and you realize it's all a lie, that there is no Santa, there is no Easter Bunny, there is no Tooth Fairy. And I felt like that about the United States. I don't know... If, if it was like one day, I just felt like there's no, like I, my happiness will never be here. I will never find it here. And it's one day I realized that. And that probably happened in maybe 2011. But the problem was figuring out how to get abroad. I couldn't, I hadn't figured out how to live abroad. And that was, that took me some time because initially I was like, well, I considered being a professor and I went back to school in the, in the U.S. because from what, from the research that I've been doing, a lot of PhD programs in Europe expect you to have a master's degree already before you apply in the thing that you're doing. And MBA isn't really a master's degree. <laughs> no, but they don't tell you that when you get it. I mean, an MBA is great if you're going to, if you're only going to work in a corporate setting, but if you're looking at advancing to a, like a PhD level they don't consider that like a real because there's no you don't do the scientific stuff you don't do um the research in that same capacity that they want you to do so i started a program at u of i in chicago and in planning and urban planning and development and my thought was that okay i'll do this program and get my master's and then i'll apply to phd programs abroad but once I got into the program, two things happened. Thing one, our professors went on strike and they disclosed how much money they made. And I was like, this is crazy because it was less money than I was making when I came out of school to work at Accenture at like 23. And so I was like, well, I, I'm not doing that. And the second thing was I really didn't enjoy being in school as an adult like I thought I would. I mean, I just this wasn't going to be it for me. So then it came back to just like, how do I figure out how to get abroad? And that was something that I just spend time and energy kind of figuring out. But honestly, it, you know, it was when I look back on it, it was just wasted time and energy because you just make it work. And I know people who are like, no, you don't, you need a plan. You need this, you need that. And I think it just comes down to your personality type. I've been in sales forever. I was hustling in sales. I was <laughs> hustling and everything. So I just took my hustle on the road and was like, I have to leave and it's gone. I'm gonna make it work. 
period. And that's what I've done. The summer before I moved, I spent two and a half months in in Italy, in Rome. And it was just kind of like, is this like a trial run? Like, is this something that I am able to and really want to do? And and absolutely, I wanted to do it. (laughs) That was like from day one. But then it was, how can I make this work? So initially, the apartment that I was living in, I sublet it through Airbnb. And honestly, that was enough money to live off of was just through the Airbnb income. And so when I got back, I was like, okay, well, let me just continue to do that. But the condo association was like, well, no, we, we, you can't do the Airbnb from this unit. So I was like, okay, fine. So my goal was to find a, a place that I could just do that with. And that would be kind of like my steady income while I was living abroad. And I also was doing like rehabs, like property renovations, but I would do maybe one renovation a year and then like have the income coming in from Airbnb on a monthly basis. So that was my goal was to just kind of get that set up within that six months. And then also kind of figure it out, like, where was I going? And I had my dog. I was like, I'm not leaving without my dog. And uh, that, I mean, that was, I mean, I probably stress over it more than I needed to, but it's actually a lot of work, particularly, it depends on the country you're going into and the country you're coming from. Like when you're coming into the UK, they make you quarantine. I think Australia does as well. The EU didn't make me quarantine the dog, but I had to get all this paperwork. (laughs) It was like a lot, a lot of paperwork and different prices and like the requirements for the cage, that took a lot. It was like, wow. So, and it was funny too, because Italy has this reputation of being laid back and it's a little bit deserved because everyone on the on the chats were like, oh, you have to get all this paperwork and no one in Italy is going to ask for it. And I did. I got all the stuff and nobody looked at it. I was like, please look at these papers. <laughs> and it took a lot of energy to get them. Please, please read them. But nobody did. And so, those were my priorities, like to be able to take my dog, to do all the things I needed to do to take my dog and make sure I had some kind of money coming in once I got there. I asked Latrice what her family thought about her deciding to up and leave Chicago and move to Italy. I don't know if I got like much of a reaction from them at all. It's been the weirdest thing is not when I said I was going to leave, but kind of the aftermath. My mom was like, why you got to go down? Like, why can't you be happy in Atlanta? Like every, every other black person, like why you got to call over to Europe? What's, what's wrong with Georgia? But the thing was, I, I talked to my mom every day when I lived in Chicago, but I didn't see her. I still would see her like once a month or maybe twice a month. And I was like, mom, we don't even see each other that much now. And she's like, I know, but I, I feel comfortable knowing if I needed to, I could be over there in like half an hour. And I'm like, I'm just a flight away. So she kind of, she, like once she realized that it was what I needed in my life, she was okay with it. Now with my friends, what was weird was like, I had a going away party and people were excited for me. But once I left and came, like when I would go back, like my friends got really, my list of friends got really small. And I've, I've talked to other people that live abroad. They've said the same thing. It's like people that are like your really, really good friends that are more like brothers or sisters. They're always there. But for some people, it's like they don't understand how your life is or they're jealous. And I, to me, that's always a cop out. Like, oh, they're jealous. But I mean, really, there are people that are like, They're not jealous that you're living abroad, but that you have that fearlessness. I think that's the 
what they're jealous of or that they just don't need you in their lives anymore. It's like a a relationship, a, a romantic relationship where if I can't see you all the time, then we can't be together. So the friendships definitely took a a different kind of a hit once I actually moved abroad. And so when I had my going away party, it was a ton of people. But if I go back now and I'm like, hey, I'm hanging out. Who wants to do something? I might see like three or four people. And I know a lot, a lot, a lot of people. But it just, we're not as close. The, the friendships have definitely dissolved in a way I wasn't expecting. I'm always curious about the day my guests leave their home country and what that whole situation was like and how they felt when they landed in their country of residence. Because I don't know if I've told you guys, my day when I left to go to Spain was a complete shit show. I'd been solo traveling for years, but on the day that I was leaving to move to Spain, I forgot my passport at home. Yes, it was a whole hot ass mess. And so I asked Latrice, what was that day like for her, knowing that she is leaving her home country, leaving her family, and starting a new life in Rome? I mean, I think when you're in the process of of a move anywhere, like they're overwhelming. It takes it like, I don't know if you're processing it in the moment, you process it later. So, I mean, my, I had my dog. So that was like a huge focus of me was kind of like getting to the airport. I mean, he passed away last year, but he was a hundred pound giant schnauzer. So it wasn't like some little lap dog that I could just put under the seat. So and it, we had two flights. We were flying from Chicago to Frankfurt and then from Frankfurt to Rome. And Uber took me to the airport because I needed like the, the big van to put his crate in, in my luggage. And so I shipped two boxes ahead of me and then I brought two suitcases and then my dog's crate. And his I was so concerned about him and I had to like because he wasn't crate trained. So I had to like get the crate ahead of time and kind of get him used to being in the crate and like throw steaks in there. Like, see, it's a good place to be. And uh, I was so worried about him. I couldn't think about anything else. And so he, when we got to the airport, I felt like it was like a sign, a positive sign because Lufthansa is the airline we flew, which is the best airline if you're flying with animals. They charge a flat fee. I'd been quoted as much as $3,000, $1,500. Some airlines wouldn't fly because of the season or he was too big. But Lufthansa was like, he can fly. It was $400 flat. And when we got to the airport, all of the people, because there are Germans that work at the airport in the U.S., they were all playing with him. He was behind the ticket counter. And like, by the time we left our flight, everybody was like, bye, Duke. And so they, the flight attendant came on each leg of the flight and was like, we've boarded him. He's fine. They let me know when they took him off the plane. And so when we got to Italy and my first thing was him. And so I saw him and he was fine. He was just in his crate like, like hey, okay, what are we going to do now? And, and then after that, then it was like, okay, I just, I just arrived in Italy. And one of my, this guy that I had been dating at the time, he came and picked me up with his dad. And it was so funny because like the whole concept of like big and little and just spatially, you're thinking spatially different based on your culture. So I'm telling him, like, I have this huge crate with my, my big dog. I have these boxes. He's like, oh, my dad, he has this big big car, this big SUV kind of thing. He didn't say SUV, but he said like, it's big, it's fine. 
So we get there and it's like the tiniest little thing. I'm like, this is not, this is not a Land Rover. This is like a, like a Prius. So we actually ended up having to have his car and his dad's car. And that's how we were able to get from the airport to the apartment that I, I booked online. So that was like day one. I asked Latrice to describe to me her first year in Rome. The Airbnb that I was staying in was, I mean, everything in Italy is old. It's, it's, I mean, this isn't Europe as much as it is Italy for, especially for Rome to be this really big city. It's, it's just not very modern, not very updated. So <clears throat> I booked this Airbnb online. Actually, I got it because there was a terrace, but the terrace was not off the street. So it was, it didn't, it, it didn't get a lot of light. And I got in it because I thought my dog was like, yay. And he never went out there because there was no light. And the apartment had a, an outdated electrical system. So I'm in bed asleep and my dog's there. He's asleep. And um, he's like, I hear this pop and I'm, I'm like, oh my God, what is that? Oh, it's probably nothing. And then something told me, I'm just going to say it was the ancestors. Like if you don't get up and see what that noise is. And I go into the kitchen and the entire wall is on fire. So the electrical system had overheated and the, this is the fuse box was on fire. I just started throwing stuff on it and the fire started falling. The, the electrical box was over the garbage. And so it started falling into the garbage and the garbage started catching on fire. And I'm just like throwing water on it. I'm just like, please go out. And so the fire goes out and then I called the owner like, what the hell? Like we almost died. And so he came in, he had a, a guy come fix it and he put, and the, the entire apartment had been on two circuits and he added two more. So basically it was, they only had enough electrical to support two, to support half the electricity that was running through the apartment. So that was like, that was pro not probably, that was the single worst experience that it happened, but what happened, we didn't die. And so you just keep, you keep going. So <clears throat> there was that, but then it was just kind of the daily, just figuring out how to get around, how to meeting people, making friends. And when I moved initially, like a lot of the people that, because one of the things that, that people, Italians complain about, and I'm sure people say this in other places too, is they don't like to make friends with foreigners because they don't tend to stay. And so a lot of the friends that I made had left even before and people that I met since have come and gone. And you, it's, it's a hard, it's harder to form attachments to people when they're a lot more transitory. So it was definitely challenging. But I'm outgoing. I, I went out a lot. I talked to a lot of people. I met a lot of people. I met a lot of guys, went on a lot of dates, which kind of helped me learn the city and like different restaurants and stuff like that. I took my dog every day to the park and definitely would explore and run and stuff with him. So I just really got my, immersed myself in the culture. I, I was taking language classes and just trying to assimilate as much as I could. And, and just live. I asked Latrice about advice for making money to go abroad. She is in real estate. I know that some people are interested in getting into real estate to go abroad. And so I asked her for some advice for you all as well. And this is what she said. I wouldn't advise that. I would advise that you find a way to generate income around whatever thing you've been doing. I have been doing real estate. I've been doing, I got my real estate license in 2007. 
So it was something that I've been doing in different capacities since then, and I've been making it work. So if you, a lot of people end up teaching English because they've been speaking English their entire lives. So, you know, to teach it isn't some huge leap. So it's, it's, it's what you've already done, what you're good at and what you have the ability to be successful at to whatever extent. So if you, if you're a social worker, I met a girl from New York who's a social worker and uh, she just started applying to jobs and got a job in the UK, in London as a social worker. And they were like, okay, come to London and be a social worker. I've met travel nurses who, who have gotten jobs abroad working as a travel nurse. So you find the thing that you do, the thing that you can do and you make it work around that. And if you've been doing real estate, then yeah, absolutely. Figure out how to people, I've met people who just own a bunch of rental properties or I met a girl who leases apartments remotely, like she is a leasing agent and, or people are, are online professors teaching English online. People do the, the day trading thing. And the other part of it too, I mean, we're in Spain and Italy are, are, they're cheap relative to Europe, but they're expensive relative to other places. I mean, if you, you could go to Vietnam or, or Thailand or Colombia and uh, different countries in Africa and you don't need that much money. So people are still thinking like, like they're living in, in Brooklyn thinking, well, I need to make $150,000 a year abroad. No, you don't. Depending on how, how, how much you want to ball, you might be able to find a place in, in, I don't know, in Kenya, and you're only paying like $500 a month. And you don't need that much. You're, you don't get a car. You, you're walking or you're taking like whatever kind of public, like a taxi or whatever service that they have. So that's the other part of it. Like you don't, or you have a car note now, if you move, you don't have a car. So you don't have to factor having a car note into your budget or like maybe you're going to brunch every week. Maybe you don't go to brunch every week once you move abroad or like in Italy, food's really cheap. So going to brunch every week here versus going every week in the U.S. is a completely different thing. You can have a really nice dinner here, like a really nice dinner for two people with appetizers and a bottle of wine and everything for like maybe 50, 60 euro. You do in Portugal, you do it for like 40. You don't, you, you don't need to, I don't think people need as much as they think they need. So it, there's flexibility. I asked Latrice to describe some of the Italian bureaucracy of getting an Italian visa and getting to Italy. Italy is weird. Italy is like, I always joke that I went to Clark and I'm like, Italy is like living in the HBCU because stuff just don't quite be like, it just, it's always a little off. And like Italy's system is really arbitrary. Like even the embassies and, and consulates, I would imagine if you're trying to go to Germany, if you go to the consulate for Germany and London, and I'm imagining this, but I'm thinking if you go to the one in London, New York and Beijing, they're probably all the same. Everything's probably super consistent. Italy, mm, I went to the consulate in Chicago and people were like, well, the consulate in New York is horrible. The one in LA is really, but the Chicago one's great. And people have moved to have rented apartments in, in the zone for the Chicago consulate to deal with that consulate over the New York consulate because they're so drastically different and stuff that has been approved in the Midwest would never fly in, in New York and vice versa. But that's Italy. It's, it's very much who, who you get, personal relationships. So I can't, I mean, that, that, that's horrible advice, but that's like the Italian advice. I mean, my story was my story, but if I got different people at the consulate, if I had to 
I met a girl who went to the New York consulate. She had a hundred some thousand dollars in the bank. And they're like, well, you don't have enough money in the bank. And another girl online was like, she had 10,000. They're like, oh, that's fine. It, it's, it's, it's so random. So, so that's what I would say. And I would think, I would say too, it's probably harder now than it was when I did it because the U.S. is less favorable globally because people in the, the U.S. hasn't really worked hard to be cool with the EU. They're not going to make it easier for American citizens. Like you're making it hard for you EU citizens. So we're going to make it hard for American citizens. So, I mean, I think it's probably harder. I know girls right now who have had shotgun weddings. It's so funny because people always are thinking like 90 Day Fiance, people trying to get to the States. I'm like, you know how many people try to get out the States? So I know people who who married Italians, like just to get their papers, who are engaged just to get their papers. So I like, that's the clearest mud answer. Here's one. Just go to the military. You can get here. If they don't see you in Afghanistan. It's a couple bases here. It's one in, it's outside of Naples. I've met people that are contractors in those places too. And then out in, outside of Milan. So there are people who, who come, you know, through the military. So there's that. Or they're contractors because then you have more control over where you go. Now that Latrice has lived in Italy for several years and she's settled into her routine of life, I asked her, what is it really like living in Italy for her? Rome came up as like the worst place to be an expat on uh, Internations in one of their surveys. And Italy as a whole is a great place to live if you're like a digital nomad or if you're retired or so, like if you're not depending on Italian income to live. I mean, it's beautiful. It's, it's it has all this culture, the food, cost of living, apartments and stuff are, are expensive in, in the cities. But the rest of the like everything else is, is manageable, definitely cheaper than a city like Chicago or New York. Milan is cheaper than Chicago or New York. So it, it definitely is is a challenging economy. They have a huge brain drain problem. A lot of Italians leave because they can make more money somewhere else, like way more money somewhere else. <clears throat> and being here is very much about who you know. Like getting a job, getting started in your career is so connected. And the mob is a thing. It's not like some, it's not just a Scorsese movie. It's like you have to deal with them with a lot of, the businesses that are here. I, I met a woman who owns a restaurant and I was asking her about like dealing with the taxes of starting a business and owning a business and dealing with the mob. And she was like, well, you have to cheat on your taxes if you want to own a business here and you have to deal with the mob. My husband deals with them. And it's like, <laughs> that's just, how is that a given? So it is, if you're a part of this economy, it's bad. If you are ex existing outside of it, then it's fine. It's, it's better. It's just like any other. You, you live wherever in the world that you can based on your residency and visa and where, where they'll let you go. And you just take your money from somewhere else. So getting paid in the States and living here is okay. But I mean, I wouldn't, if I were trying to find a job, like if I, if I were 22 and trying to like get a job in the Italian economy, like I wouldn't do that. I'd go to, I'd go to Brussels or I'd go to Austria or I'd go to Germany or Singapore. I wouldn't do it here at all. Like, no, that's just crazy talk. As weird as this might seem, 
I'm always very fascinated and very eager to learn about the different healthcare systems around the world and really how they perform in practice, right? And so I always ask my guests about healthcare system and what their experiences have been with the healthcare system. And so I asked Latrice to tell me about the Italian healthcare system. Well, I mean, the healthcare system is weird here. It's, it's still a two-pronged a two system. There's a private system and a public system. And the private system is you can get like healthcare insurance, just like in the States and pay, but the healthcare insurance might be like a hundred euro a month. And then you can go to the private system. And then, which is like the difference between if you want, if I want a mammogram and I want to get it today versus I might have to wait if I go through the public system, but I have a Tessido Sanitario, which is the, the medical card. And as a foreigner, you can pay to get that. And it's only like 300 euro a year. And so that allows me to go to any public, like I have a, a, a public doctor that I'm assigned. And sometimes I'll just text him, like I'm having this issue. And then he'll text me or he'll uh, call or, or go through the computer and send the prescription to the pharmacy. And I just go pick it up. But I can go to the hospital. I mean, it is a comfort. I'm 40. I'll be 45 uh, this year if, <laughs> if the creek don't rise. And it's some comfort in knowing if I ever needed like a major surgery, I could just go to the hospital and not have a bill, like a bill <laughs> to get like if I needed a stent or something. So or if I broke my leg or whatever. So there's that. The thing is different is culturally it's different like a doctor will say things because in the u.s because everything is so anytime people are paying for a service they they definitely care about the customer service so you're not going to get somebody that's like not paying that it's like if you go to a, a free clinic in the u.s and it's not clean and all like there's some issues so here i mean if you go to one of the free places it might not be like the emergency room, it might not be that clean or whatever. And the doctor will say something that is just like completely out of, like I had a, a yeast infection and when I, I go to the doctor's office and she's like looking at the yeast and she's a gynecologist. I'm like, you, you worked on cadavers at some point, right? And so she's like looking at the yeast and she's like, ew. And I'm like, dude, come on now, you're a doctor. Like, how is this grossing you out? And, and how are you vocalizing that it's grossing you out? Even if it is, it's just being your head. Should be your internal self-talk. So there is that. Because, I mean, it's not like somebody's going to sue or if they did, I'm going to get anything. So there isn't this policing in that kind of way. But also, if you look at the outcomes here, generally speaking, the, the infant mortality rate is way lower. The, they're just, they're a lot more concerned about safety. And then medications, which is, is kind of a bad thing for me because I'm from the States and I'm used to drugs. Like if I feel a symptom for something, it's like there's a pill for that. But here, they're like, no, no, piano, piano, wait just a little bit. And here, get a yeast infection, not a yeast infection, a, a UTI. And they're like, drink this cranberry stuff. And you're like, no, I want some cheaper. I want some antibiotics. I want no damn cranberry juice. <laughs> so it's generally speaking, a much more holistic approach to medicine than in the States. But it's not profit driven. So that's the other thing. Another question that I get a lot is how do you make friends? How do you build community while you're abroad? I know you've all seen the memes about trying to make friends as an adult, but it's not so bad. It really is not so bad. And so I posed the same question to Latrice. I asked her, how did she make friends and how did she build a community in Rome? Well, 
I went to a lot of different expat events. So there is a there is Internations, which is all over the world. They have a chapter pretty much in every major city globally. Mm-hmm. And I went to a lot of their events and uh, I met a really good friend at one of them who ended up, he was actually a, a gay white dude from the U.S. They lived in China a long time. So I got to be really close with him and his partner. I met people through Facebook. One of my really good girlfriends, I met her before I moved because she has a dog here. And I saw her in like one of the expat groups, like, hey, you have a dog. I'm bringing my dog. And I just sent her a message and we got to be friends from there. And I I met Felice Weaver from Black Girl Travel through, I'd taken a trip with her and she was living in Rome at the time. And so like, we got to be really good friends because whenever I come visit, we meet up. And so I got to be friends with her. So just different things like that. I was just going and, and, and like even different guys, like there's a guy that I dated and we didn't end up working out, but we're friends. So like we, we would talk and hang out sometimes or if I needed somebody to help me with something that was like super Italian, that super bu- bureaucratic, he would help me with that. So, and I, I dated a lot. So I was, I used Tinder, I would meet people. I, yeah. So I ended up meeting a lot of guys that way. And that was kind of how I ended up building community. I hope you have been enjoying this week's episode as much as I enjoyed producing it for you all. If you are enjoying this week's episode, be sure to screenshot this episode and share it across your social media channels. Be sure to tag at Flourish Foreign and I'll be sure to repost it. Also, if you're interested in learning more about this guest, head over to the Flourish in the Foreign website, www.flourishintheforeign.com, to learn more about them. I have bios, I have pictures, and I have links to their social medias and their websites. Finally, I want to encourage you to please support the podcast either via Patreon, Cash App, buy me a coffee, or our Amazon wish list. Any amount is greatly appreciated and your consistent support really means so much to me and really makes a difference in the production of this podcast. On to the rest of the episode. I asked Latrice to tell me about her experience being a Black woman abroad as a traveler, as an expat. Well, once you leave the U.S., it's, it's United States is just Black. <laughs> it's just Black, White, and, and Latino. But somebody who's Mexican is like, I'm Mexican. Somebody's Puerto Rican is like, I'm Puerto Rican. But most Americans will be like, but y'all, you're Spanish, which is Spain. And so with African-Americans, they, in the United States, they will put us in the same bucket as Nigerians. And Nigerians are like, no, we're Nigerian. And African-Americans are like, well, no, we're all Black. But there's that national identity that Nigerians have. And anywhere else in the world, it will be recognized. In the United States, it's like, no, you're all Black. In Europe, what happens is Europeans are nationalists. And then there's the, race, the racial overlay. So, for instance, a guy that I know was dating a girl that looks just like me. But she was, her parents are from the Congo, but she was raised in Italy, in uh, Rome. And he's like, well, she's Roman. And I'm like, but she's black. He's like, no, she's Roman. She's not just Italian. She's Roman because she's from Rome. And so they, they kind of, they do this overlap. So there's definitely the racial piece too, because then 
Africans that are here, there's a, a girl, a woman I know that's from Uganda and she's her, she's a, she's an Italian husband and two kids and her kid, her oldest is like 25 and she's Italian. And she, she's like, I've been here almost 30 years, but people say I'm a, I'm an immigrant, but as an American, you could come here after a week and they're like, you're an expat. So there's definitely a positive connotation that people assume when people are quote unquote expat um, and negative when they say, quote unquote, you're an immigrant. And it just really comes down to class. So then there's this whole, I had a professor in college that used to say, you can't separate race, class, and gender. But in Europe, it's, I would say, nationality, race, and class. Like they kind of do these overlays or overlaps and where they're separate and apart. So it's not just race. So I definitely, and most African-Americans will say this, you get privileged when you're American and you're black because <clears throat> first of all, they've never met Pookie them. Pookie them still on the block in DC or in, in Chicago or Detroit. So most of the African-Americans that they're meeting abroad are college educated. They have disposable income. They're, they're the talented 10th for lack of better terms. So generally there's nothing but positive connotation. So you don't kind of get the overt racism that you would get in the United States. But then they look at Africans a little differently because a lot of the Africans, particularly in Italy, are new immigrants. But then they look at, they're looking at Africans the same way they're looking at Bangladeshi or Romanians it's, or Russians because then they're like, oh, the Russian girls are all prostitutes. So it's, it's, it's weird because it's race and it's nationality and it's, cla it's class. There's a, a small, very, very small African-American community. And then most of the black immigrants that are here are new immigrants. They don't tend to want to stay because Italy, Italy's like the, the port. They come in through Sicily and they stay here long enough to get their papers. And generally they're trying to get to Switzerland or Germany or France because they have much better economies. The economy in Italy is trash. Like it's horrible. They're, it's, it's a lot of old money and um, not a lot of opportunity to make new money. So people that are coming, looking, no one's coming to Italy looking for a better life to, to struggle and make a, a very, very little amount of money. So they, t they tend to not want to stay here. And I met a girl, African-American woman in Switzerland, who, who she'd actually come and married a Swiss guy. They got separated. But she has a lot of African friends in Switzerland. And she was like, almost all of them come through Italy, but they're not trying to stay. <laughs> Which is funny because there's this anti-immigration push in Italy. And they don't focus on the fact that most of them aren't really trying to be here. So it's, it's a really interesting kind of thing to witness because it's, there are all these nuances that uh, come with race that in the United States, they never get, they never really go into. It's like, you're just black. And someone who's Jamaican or someone who's Eritrean or someone who's black from DC, they all have different stories. But in the United States, we're not giving the luxury of being able to have those separate identities. And actually, I think it is what it is, but in other parts of the world, you're a lot more three-dimensional. And I wanted to know specifically, what was her experience being a Black woman in Italy? Well, Italy is very chauvinistic. It's patriarchal. So women, Italian women, struggle in a way that American women don't. I, as the women that I know that work in, in businesses here, like the stuff that people can say here and, and it'd be okay, <laughs> it's like Mad Men from that the show about from the 60s, about advertising in the 60s in the U.S. 
I mean, a, a, a guy can say something crazy to you at work and it's like, whatever. The whole Me Too movement, people here just thought it was crazy. They're like, how can, if a woman has sex with you and you're not physically raping her, how is that, how is that a problem? Like, why can't a boss talk to a subordinate? Like, none of that makes sense to the culture here. So women in general are seen as a lot more, they have a lot less power, I think, than they would in a lot of other countries. I mean, women definitely are objectified more. You, in the States, I think you, I mean, it, it, good and bad, but the culture of work here, women tend to dress up all the time. Men do as well, but if you're not wearing a heel into the office, I think people are kind of looking at you with a side eye. In the U.S., women are, I think, putting their comfort, their physical comfort ahead of like what a patriarchal ideal of what a woman should look like in the workplace is. So there's that. So the country as a whole is sexist, which is, it can be good too, because when couples get divorced, men pay a lot because they're expected to take care of women. So that's the, that's the bad thing for men and people kind of backfire. People here don't really want to get married so much because it's really hard to get divorced and, and men have ended up paying so much. So as an African-American woman, there are a lot of Nigerian prostitutes in Italy. One of the reasons, and it's, it's the thing, it's like when, I mean, people do this in China and Mexico and Nigeria, they take girls there that want a better life. And they're like, okay, we'll bring you to Europe, but then you have to pay your fare. So they'll make them be prostitutes for however long to pay their way for bringing them to Europe. And they, they can't leave because they'll say things to them like, well, we know where your parents are in, in the village in Nigeria and they're afraid. And so there are a lot of Nigerian prostitutes. And, but at the same time, women that are uh, seen as expats that are from the UK or definitely from the States that are white, they think, they think all, of, all American women are sluts. Because um, on the TV show or a movie, you'll meet and two seconds later, you're, you're having sex. And that's not a part of the Italian culture. Like, it's a lot more conservative because it's rooted in Catholicism. And I, I joke with my, my white girlfriends, like, men here, they're expecting American women that are white to have sex with them for free. And they're expecting the prostitutes to, to have to pay the prostitutes. And I'm like, which is worse? For them to expect sex from you for free or for, like, to have to pay for it. And I mean, they're both bad, but at least they expect to pay the black women. So, I mean, it, it, it is all these kind of nuanced kinds of things. So my experience, I mean, I've had that happen. I've had men think that I was a prostitute, particularly my look is I look African. I look Nigerian. A lot of times when, when black women or African-American women are, are lighter skinned, they don't necessarily look you know, uh, Nigerian. I clearly look Nigerian or Ghanaian. So I've had that experience, but I've also had, I think too, that men here are, because race is the only thing that seems to matter in the United States about anything. I mean, here it's a thing, but it's not everything. So then there are definitely men that date you and they're like, they see you just as seriously as they see any other woman. And being black is just another attribute, like, oh, she's tall or, oh, she's short. She's, she's thin. She's, she's heavier. She's black. She's white. Actually, this is funny. Sidebar, this guy that I dated before, he had a friend of a friend that lived in the States was coming. And this guy was like this hedge fund manager from Minnesota. And his this white hedge fund manager from Minnesota. I'm a black woman from Chicago that's super liberal. And he's like, well, we should all hang out because 
he's American, you're American. And for him, that we were the same. He's like, well, you both speak English. What's the problem? And I'm like, no, you know, this dude like voted for Trump, was trying to justify like all the reasons that the tax breaks were needed that Trump implemented at the beginning of his term. Like it, we could not possibly be more different, but for him, it's like, well, you're both Americans. And so it's, it's this, it's a really interesting thing to see the way that we're perceived outside of the United States, because it's not just about being black. It's about, I mean, it's, it's definitely a big part of it, but it's not everything. Actually, that's one of the things I, I really like about being abroad is to not just be, I mean, I am a black woman. I love being a black woman, but I'm not just a black woman. I am a woman. I am an American. I am smart. You know, I work in real estate. I like, I have all these other things. And it's so amazing to not solely be defined by my race. Latrice is the founder and moderator of an amazing Facebook group called Sisters Dating and Traveling. And I asked her, why did she create this group and what it's all about? So I was in another big travel group. And when I started traveling and dating abroad, I actually posted about it and I got dragged. And so I was like, and, 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 and like people in the group started sending me private messages. Like you should be able to talk about this without people having all these crazy comments and blah, blah, blah. And so I just, it was like compelling. I was just like, I have to do this. And I started the, the group at that point to just kind of have a space for women to talk about these experiences without the judgment. So it kind of just belonged from there. Dating abroad, the question that gets asked the most. And so I had to ask Latrice, what was her experience dating abroad? And she really, really was not only so transparent, but gave some really, really interesting advice. One of the reasons I was not happy in the United States was because I was not able to date the way that I would have liked to. And I hear that from so many Black women in the United States. When you are abroad, I mean, men are men all over the world. So then it's more like, I'm not meeting the right guy. But when you talk to black women in the US, it's like, I'm not meeting a guy. It doesn't matter where, like how beautiful she is, how smart, how accomplished, like whatever attributes she brings into the room. She's like, generally speaking, African-American women have a really hard time finding a man. And for one, it's because so many black men are not eligible. A lot of guys are, in, I mean, because of the way the US is set up, dudes are in jail, guys have been killed. I mean, those are, there are a lot of, social economic issues and, and racism, institutionalized race, racial things that, that significantly reduce the amount of eligible black men. And then the black women who are, a lot of them aren't willing to date outside of the race. And the ones that are, there are so many other men that don't even see you. And Americana, she talks about how, and, and, and even though it's a fictionalized story, how she's dating this, this wealthy white guy and his, I guess it was his brother, couldn't imagine that he would date her. Like, not that because she was black, but because she was a non-entity. And I think that a lot of non-black men in the United States see black women like that. Like, you're not even an option because you're not, you know, I don't look at a chair and think that that's a possible mate because it's a chair, it's a non-entity. And I think a lot of black women are seen as that. Not Even if they're attracted to you, they don't see you as a potential mate. And so being in Europe, I mean, not even just in Europe, I think this is the experience once you leave the U.S., but especially in Europe, in Africa, most of the countries in Africa, even South America, Central America. But once you leave America, people are like, oh, wow, you're a beautiful woman. You're smart. You have a beautiful smile. You have a body that I'm attracted to. And you're a woman. 
<laughs> you're like this three-dimensional woman that I want to spend more time with. I want to take you on a date. I want to know you. I'll, I enjoy your, com your company. And it's, you just seen. And that's, there's no other way to say it. You are absolutely seen. And so what I noticed once I got to Europe, like if I moved here, like my girlfriend, one of the main reasons I say I wish I'd come when I was younger is I would have, I'm still single. I'm in a relationship, but I'm not married. Um, and I don't have children that I know I would be married with like four kids or something. It is so much easier to have that happen. Being here, I was dating so, I would meet so many guys so easily. And the caliber of men that I was dating, I dated wealthy artists, different kinds of artists, attorneys, doctors, like some of everything. And they're genuinely interested in you. Then it's just the regular relationship stuff. Can I find somebody I'm compatible with that's compatible with me? And I, that opportunity didn't exist for me in the United States. So I dated a lot of people and a lot of the stuff that, I mean, I think dating is a skill. And a lot of the stuff that I should have learned like a long time ago, I hadn't because I hadn't had the practice that I was able to get here. And when I met my current partner, it's funny because when I met him, I wasn't terribly, like I was dating so many people and I wasn't, he didn't knock me off my feet or anything, but his consistency and his heart and his integrity, it just completely won me over. And I think one of the things that happens in the States is African-American women, we date from a place of desperation. And we just, we, we go with whoever, but here I had options. I could be with whoever, I didn't have to be with him. And it was me genuinely connecting with this person and wanting to spend time with him. And that was, it's been nothing but a good experience for me. And I'm in an amazing relationship with a spectacular man. I'm very deeply in love and I feel loved. And this is an experience that I've had in my adult life, not to this extent. So it's, definitely worked out well for me. I really like talking to Latrice about dating. Can I just say that? I really like talking to Latrice about it because I think her viewpoint and her perspective and her philosophy makes sense in a lot of different ways. Whether people like it or not, it may be provocative, who knows? So I asked Latrice to share some dating abroad advice that I thought was really interesting and insightful. And I've really thought about this and I, I, I think I have an answer, but nobody listens to me. <laughs> I think it depends on who you are. As um, speaking specifically to women, there are places in the world where it depends on what kind of woman you are. If you're an African-American woman and you have dark skin, Europe is really good because I mean, honestly, I think men here tend to, especially Italy, they're like, if I want a black woman, I want a black woman. And so they like dark skin. But then if you're a fair-skinned Black woman, then you might, you probably do better in different countries in Africa or the UK because it's a lot of Black men there and it's colorism. I mean, it is what it is. If you're a heavier Black woman, Western Africa, South Africa, because this, they, they really want a woman with meat on her bones. So it, it depends on who you are. So, I mean, and I, I have a friend that says this, you want to put yourself in a situation to be successful, to have as many options as possible. Like, don't go to Asia, don't go to China if you're looking for a, a man. Like, I, the, the, the white gay couple that I, that I know that was here, they lived in China for like 13 years. And they were saying almost every couple that they met, like after they got there, their husbands left for women, the, the straight couples, the husbands left for Asian girls, for Chinese girls. And um, he was like, don't bring your husband to China. Well, if you're a woman, don't go to China. Like the Chinese woman got that. 
So it just, I mean, and anything's possible and you, you meet people who anecdotally met their partner in other places, but it definitely, if you're trying to have as many options as possible, you should kind of understand who you are and what you want. So in, in places in the Middle East that I hear from women is the religion, it's so a part of is Islam and the culture is such a part of the, the, the lifestyle that men aren't going to marry somebody who's not from there. Like they'll have sex with you and they'll take you out, but they're not going to like marry you. <clears throat> but here, I mean, almost every woman that I know that wants to get in a relationship is in one. Like if she's not, honestly, what I've discovered, <laughs> what I've discovered too is when it's been a certain amount of time and if someone wants to be partnered and, and a black woman wants to be partnered in Europe and she's not, then it's kind of like at some point, then it's, it's probably some eternal work that needs to happen because it's not that you're not meeting men here. There's so many men that will be interested in you then it's like, okay, maybe they're like, do I have issues with commitment? Do I have issues with whatever? But Europe is just easy. But again, like, but it's, it tends to be harder here if you're not slim, because it's just what it is. But like, if you're heavier in, in West Africa, South Africa, I mean, a light skinned, heavy set black woman in South Africa will be married like at the airport if she wants. It just depends on who you are and what you're looking for. Oh, Central um, America too, I think is good too for black women. So according to Latrice, Europe is a good place to date. And so I asked her, why does she think Europe is such a great place for dating? Well, you have options there. That's the thing that I think is, is very different from like, I, and I, I always say this, I don't know why black women keep going to Atlanta. Stop. <laughs> stop going to Atlanta. DC on that list for me too. Just stop it. Like there are too many women there. It's too much competition and you got to work. Like you, you have to work too hard to keep a man's attention. And then they're going to be men because they have so many options. So like if he want to act a fool, he can act a fool. And if he want to act a fool and have a woman take him back every day, he can. And so it's just, it's too many options for them. But in, in Europe, I think it's the opposite. Like if you decided right now, you're like, I want to go out tomorrow <laughs> in the middle of COVID and you went on Tinder and was like, I want to, like, who wants to take me to dinner? It'd be like a million dudes be like, please let me take you to dinner. So you have that option. And I think that's the difference. A black woman sitting in Atlanta, a gorgeous black woman with a PhD and an MD and a JD, they have a million IT certs. And she's like, I want to go out to dinner. Who wants to take me out to dinner? And dudes would be like, what do, does that mean I have to pay? And like, where your money at? It's like this completely different thing. It's like, well, you know, I just sit at home and watch Netflix. No, thank you. And it's just, Europe is just easier. And that's part of this cultural too, I think. Regardless, even in France, I know people are a lot less likely to get married. In Italy, people don't get married as much as they used to as well, because it was historically super hard to get divorced. But people still expect to be in relationships. Now, marriage is, is something else, but people don't tend to stay single. But in the States, I think people, especially in the Black community, men have like the whole hip hop culture is presented having a relationship and being in love as a weakness. And so a lot of men kind of stray from that. And in most other countries in the world, men are men are taught to want to partner. Now, whether they get married or not, that's different, but they aren't taught to run from being in a relationship. I asked Latrice, how long did it take for her to feel settled in Italy, for it to feel like home? I think I felt that from day one. When I brought my dog, it was my dog, like when I had my dog, that was home. Because I don't think that home is necessarily a place. I mean, this is, I guess this is corny, but it's, it's a state of mind. And that was my, my, 
immediate family being complete. <laughs> so I felt at home at that moment. Now that I'm with my partner, I feel that with him. Like we moved into a place together and I feel like that with him all the time. Like he's my home. He's my, my, my sanctity, my comfort. And so that's when I feel that kind of overwhelming sense of, of like an anchor. I asked Latrice to share some advice with all of you about going abroad. You can't be afraid. You can't be afraid to live. Their life is full of uncertainty. That's like the one of the, the guarantees is the uncertainty. But you have to live in spite of it because you have to live. And you, you kind of have to think about your life backwards. If you live to be 100, what are the things you want to have said that you've done or that you want to have done? And if this is one of those things on that list, then you just got to do it because it's not promised. I think for me that one of the things that was just pivotal in, in understanding that was when I was um, a freshman in college, my half-sister died unexpectedly. And we really, we never really found out what happened. She'd gone to a club with her friends and when it was time to go, they couldn't find her. She's missing for two days and then they found her body and she was 20. And so that was just inconceivable. I mean, she, she wasn't sick. She, when someone's sick, you grieve them the whole time and you expect the death. But when someone dies unexpectedly, it's like, it's a, it's a gut punch and it was a surprise. And that is the moment that I realized that tomorrow is not promised and you cannot live thinking, well, in five years and 10 years and, and when I turn this age, when I turn that age and you project these goals into some arbitrary future date with the assumption that they're going to happen. The, the saying is, if you want to make God laugh, make plans. That's true. You plan as much as you can, but some stuff is just beyond your control. And that's okay. <laughs> it's absolutely okay. If that's something you want to do, you have to just do it and let that fear, let that fear go. Fear will keep you from living your life in every single capacity. And it doesn't mean that fear, fear is important. <laughs> it's a wonderful evolutionary skill that is, that'll keep you from doing super stupid things, but it can't keep you from doing anything. You don't want to wake up at 45 or 55 or 65 and, and have all these things in life that you wanted to do. Wellness, a topic that we all should be delving so deeply into, especially now. I asked Latrice, what is her definition of wellness and how has living in Italy affected her concept and practice of wellness? I think wellness is, I talk about three-dimensionality and three-dimensionality is having this um, ability to be comfortable and fulfilled in all the aspects of being a human. So to me, that means, are you satisfied with your work? Are you satisfied with your home life, with your relationships, rela uh, romantic and non-romantic? Are you growing mentally? Are you growing spiritually? Are you content in all of these areas, your health, your physical state, um, your mental state, the state of your heart and your soul? <clears throat> to me, it's, it's this all-encompassing all kind of sphere of, of, of contentment. And for me, Absolutely. It has been a, a better place for that, for all of those things to happen. I mean, uh, physical health is, is super easy to, to state because somebody posted on, a, on one of my groups in Italy, like, oh, I ate a 
Kit Kat and it tastes really different. It's like, well, it's not all those chemicals in it that you're used to. The EU has much stricter guidelines on food. So even when I eat crap here, I know that it's the sugar is real sugar, that it's actual milk, that it's actual flour, and it's not like a bunch of chemicals. So it's, it's a lot harder to, it's one reason I think why people are, are generally more fit here. So the food is definitely better. We, we kind of joke about it, but when we buy food out the grocery store, just the regular grocery store, not buying like the bio or the organic stuff, just the, the um, regular stuff. If we don't use it fast, it goes bad. The fresh produce goes bad fast. I eat a lot of protein, a lot of meat. And I know people feel like, some people feel like, oh, meat's horrible for you. I'm like, well, the EU and the U.S. got into it a while ago because the EU wouldn't take full meat from the U.S. because they have the same guidelines. They don't, they don't allow the same types of, of antibiotics and growth hormones in the, in the EU that the, the U.S. does. So just eating regular food every day here versus eating food every day in the U.S. is just you, you have to be healthier because the food, the stuff is just, the ingredients are better. And so, and then just being like more fit in general, like we don't drive as much here with, with this pandemic. <laughs> we do a lot of car share, but historically we would be on public transportation. And a lot of people in the cities in Europe, I think they, they rely on public transportation. And so people walk more in general and they just, you organically tend to get more exercise. We walk to the grocery store. We walk, like we walk almost everywhere and you don't hop in a car and go, even if you drive, you don't hop in the car and go to do a lot of the errands that in the U.S. you would typically do. We don't, we go to the grocery store a few times a week because we're constantly buying fresh stuff and uh, we're walking there. So just the, the lifestyle overall just lends itself to kind of being healthier, I think. One of the reasons COVID was so bad initially in Italy was because so many families live together. And I think the focus on families here is much more important than I've seen in the U.S. It's also, I think, one of the reasons Italy's like, because in the U.S., they just decided like money is more important. <laughs> that is the, if, if people die, they die. But I think Italy was just like, well, it sucks. We definitely don't want to take this economic hit. But it's really important to us that we stay alive, that we protect our elders, that people aren't just out here dying from something when we can do something about it. So, so there's that. Families are definitely, I think, stronger. They get together a lot as family, as friends. People don't work as many hours. They have more vacation. It's, they, the, it's like that cliche, Americans live to work and Europeans work to live. <clears throat> so yeah, I mean, it, it just, I think it, you know, allows you to kind of hit all of those things in a different way. And ironic too about the spiritual piece <laughs> is even though I'm in Rome, I've met so many atheists because I think Catholicism is such a very integral part of the foundation of this, this city and the country that people have a lot of information about it and they have no problem judging it. And so a lot of younger people that you meet are very, I think, a lot more introspective about religion and how they feel about it than in places where you like it, it's not what you think it would be you think that it'd be like all these catholics in rome and and it's i see a lot more and just as this is anecdotal for me i've met and seen a lot more italians that question it and they're like well what is religion like what's my spirituality how do i feel about this 
which is actually pretty cool. I asked Latrice if she has a motto to live by, a mantra, an affirmation, a prayer that keeps her going in life, or maybe especially since she's moved abroad. Well, one of the things that, I don't know if it's just, if it's solely this, but it's to just control the things that I can. It's the serenity prayer, the uh, serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Anything that I feel like I, in my life, that I need to change, if I have the ability to do so, I really try to. And sometimes you have to accept that you can't. And when I can't, I can't. So that's, I guess that's probably the biggest one for me. And then the, beyond that, to try to live each day is, is to the best of my ability, be a little bit better, hopefully than I was the day before. And I really try to honor my ancestors in a way that I've made some self-deterministic choices that really weren't possible for them. And I, I try to remember that is, is think about that as much as I can. So those are two kind of really important things for me. Thank you so, so much, Latrice. Speaking with you was absolutely delightful. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And if you enjoyed listening to Latrice as much as I did, you can stay connected with Latrice via social media. Well, you can find me online at sisterswhotravelanddate.com. Thank you again, Latrice, and be sure to check out the show notes page for Latrice's episode at www.flourishintheforeign.com slash episodes slash Latrice. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. And if you did, please consider becoming a supporter of the podcast. You can do so via Patreon, buy me a coffee, cash app or by purchasing a piece of production equipment via our amazon wish list you can find all the links to the ways to financially support us at www.flourishintheforeign.com support also please rate and review the podcast on apple Podcasts and anywhere else you listen to this podcast it is so important and while you're at it be sure to head over to the website the website is where there is just an abundance of information it's where you can learn more about each of the guests that have been on the podcast you can see their pictures you can read their bios and you can find out ways to get in contact with them if you would like to do so you can also check out the resources page at www.flourishintheforeign.com resources to check out some products and services that can help you get and stay and thrive abroad. Also, if you'd like to book a consultation call with me, you can do so also via the website. I give two types of consultations. The first type of consultation I do is for moving and living abroad. If you have specific questions or if you just want to pick my brain or bounce some ideas off of me, that is the best way to do so. And then the second type of consultation I offer is for starting a business abroad. And you can also get a consultation with me there where we can talk about your ideas and start really game planning how to launch your business or scale your business so that you can thrive abroad. If you have not grabbed my free build a business abroad guide, what are you doing? Grab that on the website or you can grab it in any of the links on my social media 
profiles. So be it Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, you can click on the link that is in the bio section and it will take you to a page where you can sign up and get your free Build a Business Abroad guide. The music for this podcast is produced by Zachary Higgs. He is a talented multi-instrumental producer and if you need music for any of your creative endeavors or pursuits he is your guy you can find all of his information in the show notes thank you so much for supporting this podcast and thank you so much for believing in the voices and stories of black women please take care of yourselves and please remember that it's not about getting abroad It's not about being abroad, it's about thriving abroad. So go abroad and cultivate a life well lived. See you next time. Bye. On the next episode of Flourish in the Foreign. It just got so painful to be there. Like, I was just so uncomfortable, and I know that I needed to change something about my life. And all the people around me were kind of like, oh, welcome to adulthood. Life is hard. Like, single parenthood, everybody does it. Like, it's fine. You'll be fine. You just have to be miserable for the next 15 years. And I was just like, I, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not here for that.